You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you are new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We really won't be talking about anything too spoilery in this episode in particular, but we will mention a few plot moments. So if you are very strictly avoiding any type of spoilers, just be aware. If you haven't seen the first season, there could be some spoilers ahead. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the music in Orphan Black, the diegetic music, the non-diegetic music, the score, stuff like that. And then we're going to talk about the um, the playlists, both the ones that are from the writers that were posted on the Orphan Black website, the Orphan Black blog. And we're also going to be talking some about Tatiana's playlists. And, um, you know, she's frequently mentioned in interviews and such that she has playlists that she listens to to get into each of the separate characters. So so we'll be talking about those. Um, uh, those, by the way, are available on Spotify, the Orphan Black accounts spotify am i phrasing that correctly i'm so i'm so uncool stephanie (laughs) as far as i know you are phrasing that correctly okay uh we will put a link in the the show notes too so let's talk about favorite music moments in the show of course we have to talk about bad girls by m.i.a while sarah is preparing to be beth which of course that that whole thing works out I thought pretty well that uh good choice whoever decided to do that music supervisor <laughs> yeah I thought that was a really perfect song for that montage I think it gets you sort of in the mood of who Sarah is as a character and you know it's it's energetic it carries you through the the quick cuts and things like that so I thought it was a really good choice for that moment although I've got to say it seems I don't know, both appropriate and perhaps a bit inappropriate that the main chorus of the song is Live Fast, Die Young. And basically the whole premise is that Beth has has killed herself. I think it's more supposed to be a song about Sarah than about Beth. No, I know. But that, that's what I'm saying is, but I find it interesting because the whole premise is that Sarah is taking the place of someone who has who has died young. Does that make sense? Yes. So you find it slightly spooky for, for that reason? I suppose I do. It's that's. Fair. I mean, I, I know it's about Sarah, but it's just there. There are echoes of Beth, and that's sort of the whole point. So it's never mind. I'm thinking about it too much, probably. <laughs> As is my way. I think it would be fair to say that the song is about Sarah, but by extension, is perhaps providing somewhat of an ominous tone to Sarah's little story arc, given that Beth did essentially live fast and, and die young. I think that is fair to say. And Sarah being, from what we've seen, much more reckless, I guess, would be the word than than Beth was. It's, yes, ominous is a good good word choice yeah. for that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that Beth necessarily lived fast, but she did definitely die young and she had some habits that obviously were not healthy ones. Right. Sarah definitely has more of a, a live fast, die, die young lifestyle. I think that's fair. Right. So probably my favorite music moment of the series thus far is in episode 102, where Sarah pretends to be Katja and she's dressed all in black with the big hat and the sunglasses and they play a German version of these boots, 
by Nancy Sinatra. It's not sung by Nancy Sinatra. It's it's sung by a German artist, but it's a German version of that song plays as Sarah walks into the hotel and then goes up to Takacha's room. I just love that moment. I can't really describe why, but I just feel like it's the perfect fit for that little sequence, that song. I think every time I've watched it with somebody else, everybody always loves that moment. It's a great moment. And of course, who doesn't love that song? Yeah, it's a fantastic song to begin with. And then the fact that it's in German. I mean, I, I guess you, you, it, it's appropriate in that Sarah is sort of taking charge of the situation and kind of daring people to kind of give her crap about things when she's walking into this hotel. So this idea of these boots were made for walking is kind of appropriate in that way. They'll walk all over you. Exactly. One of these days. So another great moment. Allison singing bitch in her minivan. Who doesn't love that moment? That is just so fantastic. It is. It is great. But of course, um, apparently, Tatiana Maslany had been losing her voice a little bit already and basically completely lost her voice doing that scene. Yeah, I think that was the one day, right, she had to take off because she lost her voice completely during right. the, the, during filming. Yeah. So so Tatiana really gave it her all and, <laughs> in singing Bitch. And it's just such a fantastic moment. And I, it's po- so perfect because they'd set up before kind of Allison's love of 90s pop music, particularly in the episode Variations Under Domestication, which is where everybody pretty much ends up at Allison's party. They play... Spice Girls in that episode, they play Love Fool by the Cardigans. They play, you know, This is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. So her love of 90s pop had been established. And this is the episode, right, where Allison's kind of going a little bad. She's doing things she wants to do. And you can tell that was just like the naughtiest song she could think of to play. (laughs) Oh, Allison. I I think it is one of those things. It makes perfect sense to me that Allison would listen to 90s pop. Because, you know, she's she's the right age for it, that that would be like her her teenage years would be full of these songs. And so as as is often the case, I think our the, the soundtrack of our teenage years sort of carries through with us a little bit. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I think that's fair. I think a lot of people, they often become nostalgic. Like, you know, when I hear that song, when I hear the cardigans, it makes me think, oh, you know, junior high. But there are some people who that's like their music, you know, that's the, that's where they form their music taste and, and it carries forward with them. And it makes sense to me that Allison would be one of those people, especially since she doesn't seem to be all that happy in her current life. Maybe these 90s pop songs really take her back to a time when she was happier. That makes sense to me. So speaking of, of Love Fool, I, I think that's a great moment. They play Love Fool, and of course, it, it sort of transitions from Allison's party to Cosima and Delphine running away from the Neolution lecture with the, the the bottles of wine. The stolen bottles of wine. Yes. As they have their jogging. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Delphine. <laughs> anyway. Also, special mention... Helena dancing with the tail in parts developed in an unusual manner, which I believe is episode seven. Yes, the end of episode seven. It's not so much about the song for me in that particular scene. It's an appropriate one, but it's it's also just sort of a song that might be playing at Club Neolution. However, I had to include it. If you're talking about moments accompanied by music, you have to talk about Helena dancing with the tail. Because, wow, right? I mean, 
I didn't see it coming, but I feel like I should have maybe. <laughs> right. It's so unexpected, but it's just, it, it, it's kind of one of these moments where you see Helena unburdened in a bizarre way, right? But it's kind of great to see her in this little moment of celebration. It's not something you'd really seen out of the character before. Right. And it is one of those, it's almost jarring, that that scene of, you know, the, the cameras traveling through the crowd, and suddenly there's Helena, totally going for it, dancing-wise, and holding the tail, and I think every time we'd like seen- Like a glow stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I told you the first time I saw it, I was like, what what is that? And then upon rewatch, oh, that's that's his tail. <laughs> that's Olivier's tail. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, you are not the only one who didn't get that it was the tail on first watch. It's kind of difficult to tell because the scene is dark, but but I I I got it the first time and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so twisted and fantastic." <laughs> Cuz of course, of course she's doing that. Oh, Helena. So we have to talk about the score, uh which was done by Trevor. I'm sorry, we don't know how to say your last name. I'm going to guess Yuli. Could be Yule. It's Y U I L E. But it's fantastic. I love the score. I, I think it's it's very appropriate for the show. It's it's sort of more atmospheric than than melodic. It's it's got a lot of atonal kind of elements, which I think really, really works. You know, the the horrifying screeching that signifies Helena's scenes, that sort of thing. I'm into it. I do like the Helena screech a whole lot. Though I will say that as somebody who binge watched the show the the Helena screech can get a little grating when seeing the episodes back to back to back. It's like, oh, okay, we get it. It's Helena. But <laughs> I, I understand how it's a useful tool, especially when it's airing week to week, so that when Helena's kind of being sneaky and maybe you're not sure who she is for a second to have the screech come in and then have the viewers realize, oh, it's her. So I, I like the Helena screech, but it does get a little repetitive if you watch all the episodes back to back. I, I can see that, but... It is one of those things that I think, especially for the first few episodes that Helena's in, like, I just get a chill when I heard it, because mm-hmm. Helena's terrifying. <laughs> She's terrifying, indeed. And there's actually, it seems like Trevor Yuley has an, a SoundCloud account that he kind of maintains, but he has indeed. several... He has several clips of the score available that you can listen to on SoundCloud. So we will post a link to that account in the show notes for this episode. And of course, the theme song was done by Two Fingers. And I I really like the theme song. I like it a lot. Uh, Once I got the, I think it was when I got the the series on DVD, I like would sit there and let the thing play the theme song over and over and over again. The theme song is gorgeous. The theme song and the opening credits, I think, are fantastic. It's been a really long time since I've seen a theme song and opening credits pair that I think is as good as the Orphan Black one is, but it's really good. And and I was so entranced by this song by Two Fingers, I went and I looked them up on Spotify to try to find more stuff that this artist had done. And the rest of the artist catalog that I found, at least, so different from the theme song. Yeah, I pretty much did the same thing. <laughs> right. So the theme song, as well as Trevor Yuli's score, very much influenced by bass music, dubstep music. I'm trying not... Apparently, we overuse dubstep, uh, us lay people who don't know about music. So, you know, bass music. 
<laughs> and there's a lot of different types of music that can fit under that. There's can be this really delicate, gorgeous, full, melodic sound to it, like you hear in the Two Fingers theme. And there can also be these really sort of sharp, angular, more cacophonous type sounds. And that's more what Two Fingers music is that at least that I found in, his, in I think it's a him, his usual catalog. So it was very surprising to to hear the contrast. And of course, you and I were having this discussion about this before the the Two Fingers theme song. And so in in my also sort of not not super in the know music lingo, I was sort of pondering if it would qualify as um as down tempo and you were just kind of like what <laughs> i didn't know there's so many little genres and subgenres of music it's it's difficult to keep up with them all it was pretty funny we we were basically having two different conversations because you didn't know half of what i was saying and i didn't know half of what you were saying <laughs> we figured it out somehow though we met somewhere in the middle <laughs> we did it was like sending examples of such things that we thought were whatever to each other. Anyway. Yeah, I think it was when you were talking about down tempo, I was like, this just seems like trip hop to me. <laughs> but anyway, what do I know? I think there is a uh, overlap in the Venn diagram of music genres there. But yeah, I, I don't know. If, if anybody knows, I'm sure they'll correct us. <laughs> Hopefully. That's what, that's what the internet is good for, right? People telling you. Actually, you're wrong on this thing. It's the best crowdsourcing ever. I really don't mean that snarkily. It's awesome. It's like you have a question, you put it out there, and almost always somebody will say, I know the answer to that. I like it a lot. So please leave a comment or something if you know better than we do uh, about this music type, music genre-ing thing. Awkwardly phrased. So moving on to the different characters... I was very sort of enchanted and intrigued by this idea that Graham Manson had posted these playlists of songs that the writers had come up with that kind of informed them about the character. And I thought it was great that they posted them on the blog. I, I was really excited about that. Mm -hmm. So they posted playlists for six characters, Sarah, Helena, Kasima, Allison, and then Felix and Katja. Though the Katja playlist is very tongue-in-cheek. It's pretty much just songs by German bands or songs that have German in them. <laughs> so I think, it, you know, there's a song by Rammstein. I think there's a song by Kraftwerk and that song, Da Da Da, that pops out, you know, <laughs> Da Da Da, that one. <laughs> and now everybody has it in their heads. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're not. <laughs> we'll post links to all of those playlists in the show notes. And then I was really excited when I was poking around on the show, in the playlist on Spotify that I found that they also had lists of Tatiana Maslany's playlist for some of the characters. So we're going to talk about the ones that where those two overlapped. So we're going to talk about Sarah's, Helena's, Cosima's, and Allison's playlists. Okay, so Sarah, the writer's playlist is some techno and electronica, some garage rock slash punk revival, The Clash, that kind of thing, as one would expect, Right. Right. And there was some overlap with Tatiana Maslany's playlist. She, they both had music by The Prodigy on each of them, as well as a song by The Clash. But I thought it was interesting that Tatiana Maslany's playlist was all British musicians, whereas the writer's was a mix of British and American, I believe. And then the, the artists that Tatiana Maslany included were The Clash, Dizzy Rascal, The Streets, and The Prodigy, like I mentioned. And most of the songs are pretty energetic, but... 
Straight to Hell by The Clash is actually one of their more contemplative ones. And it's kind of the deeper cut, which I think is appropriate given that, you know, Sarah would probably think of herself as a true fan of The Clash. So she wouldn't really mess around with Should I Stay or Should I Go or Rock the Casbah. So I, I, I really liked this song. I actually hadn't heard it before. It's off of Combat Rock. And then Turn the Page by, by the Streets, also more contemplative. The Dizzy Rascal songs are like really brash and they have a lot of attitude toward them, but they're not quite as political as the Clash and, and the Street songs are. Well, Mrs. S did say that Sarah took all the attitude and none of the politics. Right, right. <laughs> we also thought we would mention some songs that either reminded us of a character or we thought maybe the character might enjoy. And so a song that really reminded me of Sarah or when I when I thought of it, I was like, oh, Sarah would like this song. It's a song called Unorthodox Daughter by a grime artist named Nole. She's a female grime artist. Uh, Dizzy Rascal is also grime. So this very like underground hip hop slash electronica genre that's that sort of came up in the UK in the 1990s. Dizzy Rascal and Wiley probably are the biggest names. Oh, Lady Sovereign, also a grime art artist who got some international exposure. But this song by Unorthodox Daughter by No Lay, it just really reminded me of Sarah. It's kind of a marriage of political and attitude. So maybe she would like it because there's too much politics in there. But there is a lot of like great female attitude in this song that I think Sarah would appreciate. Then we've got Helena, whose writer's playlist is creepy sort of songs. They're strange yet humorous or fractured sounding. And then Tatiana's playlist is more haunting than creepy. There's Antony and the Johnsons and uh, Tom Waits. And Antony and the Johnsons especially, it's it's a lot of longing. Their their music, their sort of, there's a mournful tone to them, I guess, which is actually also true of the Tom Waits songs. They, they've, it's sort of interesting that the Tom Waits songs kind of, they're, they're almost a little dirge-like. Absolutely. So it's it's interesting to me, Tatiana's mindset for Helena. It makes sense. Well, personally, I think the tone struck by Anthony and the Johnsons is really missing from the writer's playlist. And the writers, Graham Manson, in his description of Helena's playlist, mentioned that really what Tatiana brought to Helena as a character was being motivated out of love. And so I feel like Anthony and the Johnsons are really appropriate for her in, in that regard, this sort of longing and this need for connection with people. But at the same time, they're still strange. Like one of the songs by Anthony and the Johnsons she included is, I believe, called I Fell in Love with a Dead Boy. So odd, but still this <laughs> longing and need for connection there. Right. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Huh. Which, you know, really thinking about it, you, yeah, Helena is, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I buy it. <laughs> so also our, our picks then, we were having this discussion last night and basically we just ended up throwing songs at each other from Bjork, specifically from the album Homogenic. So long ago when we did our Helena episode, I, I tweeted out the link to the song Pluto, because that was making me think of Helena. And of course, it's like, I don't know if it's that I'm just thinking about Helena a lot and hearing the song. But but no, Stephanie confirmed for me that no, it kind of sounds like a Helena song. And then she mentioned what Bachelorette, 
Yeah, because I feel like Bjork, just in general, is Helena's kind of weird, right? <laughs> like, like when I hear Bjork sort of talking, I feel like Helena's inner monologue might sound not unlike <laughs> Bjork. <laughs> I love Bjork. I'm not making fun of Bjork. I love her dearly. But, I also but that- love Bjork dearly. So, <laughs> But I actually, I thought of Bachelorette, which has been a, a really beloved song of mine for a really long time, because lyrically i feel like there's so many lyrics that remind me of helena but the especially the first line right off the bat which is i'm a fountain of blood in the shape of a girl it's like oh that reminds me of helena and then i remembered that some of the last lyrics of the song is i'm a tree that grows hearts one for each that you take you're the intruder's hand i'm the branch that you break which is just so much you know helena getting crushed by these these people in her life with whom she tries to form relationships and sort of her fragility. And I just thought it was a really appropriate song for her. I believe my response to you after you mentioned the song was my Helena feels. <laughs> yes, th- there's so many Helena feels in, in Bachelorette, if you especially if you go and you listen to the lyrics or read the lyrics. Some of them aren't the easiest to understand if you're just listening to the song. But if you read them, they're very Helena-like. Indeed. And then what were the lyrics from all neon like that you that reminded you of Helena? With a razor blade I'll cut a slit open and the luminous beam feeds you, honey, heals you. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying yet tender. <laughs> such as Bjork and such as Helena. Such as Helena, yes. So for Kasima, the writer's playlist included a lot of bass music. So drum and bass and blood and dubs blood step. Oh my god, I'm stuck on Helena. <laughs> well, it carries over to Casima too now. I'm sorry, it's oh, cranberry juice. It's oh, cranberry juice. Oh, Chris, no! Why did you have to do it? Because I'm an asshole. Yes, you are. For Casima, the writer's playlist included a lot of bass music. So songs out of the drum and bass genre, dubstep. And several of the songs were very eclectic, so they brought in influences from other cultures. Like one of them was, a couple of them were by Bass Nectar. One of them was an original song, and the other one was a remix. And that's kind of a hallmark of their sound. And a hallmark of Bass Nectar's music is that he brings in a bunch of different sounds from different genres of music. So one of them was electronica plus like circus music. Uh, so. They definitely seem to see Kasima as enjoying this dubstep, drum and bass, bass music type of genre, and especially ones that have a lot of influences to them. And then Tatiana's playlist, they she also had some bass music as well. And the things that I that I kind of noticed about her playlist is it seems like seemed like several of the songs had a real stark contrast in them. Like there was very pretty or beautiful elements over either over or paired with harsher elements to the song. So there was a song on there by Sleigh Bells from their first album, Treats, which, particularly on that album, you have these really sort of harsh, blaring, aggressive, electronic beats and and guitar parts and samples. And then over it, you have the lead singer's voice, which is very girly and sing-songy and kind of pretty, but it's kind of like a very sweet icing on this more difficult to swallow uh, cake, I guess, for lack of a better <laughs> metaphor. That was terrible, but <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. 
Oh dear. And then that sort of, or that, that description, I have to then mention, uh, you and I are both big St. Vincent fans. St. Vincent Indeed. has, has that same dichotomy to her music, which I appreciate. I know you have said you do also. Right. Cause she has a very beautiful voice. She, she makes some very beautiful musical pieces of her songs, but then there's almost always a really cacophonous or sort of atonal or very dissonant element to the song as well. Again, pairing sort of aggressive guitar usually with like woodwinds or something. So we would also maybe put put uh, St. Vincent on Cosima's playlist, perhaps? I don't know. It's just that particular description always, my brain always goes to St. Vincent as it, Fair enough. As it does. Fair enough. But it was I was kind of intrigued by listening to both Tatiana and the writer's playlist, but especially Tatiana's playlist for Cosima. They're fairly like energetic songs, which works for Cosima. But I think of her as a bit more upbeat of a character, but none of the songs were particularly upbeat. And maybe that's because she has this looming thing over her with this illness that I don't want to talk about that she's facing. And so maybe that's why they're, they're not a little bit more cheerful. But I was surprised that they had kind of a darker tone to them. Yeah. Well, I guess that could be more situational too, not just the illness that we won't talk about, but the thank you. The whole, you know, conspiring with with Beth and Allison to figure out what is going on. I mean, they're they're aware that they may be in the process of being hunted. I mean, Indeed. as it starts out, because I think the the comment was like, "Oh, it's true, we are being hunted." So anyway, again, more sort of looming things. But yes, our, our picks, or at least my pick for, for songs we'd use for Kasima sort of goes back to the energetic thing, but just because, I mean, that is how we see Kasima more often than not. We see her as being sort of the most openly joyful, I guess, of the clones, the least burdened, perhaps would be a more appropriate way of putting it. But I, I personally think that like Venus hum songs would, are, sort of make me think of of Kasima. They're sort of it's electronica, but there's like this sort of joyous element to it. Soul sloshing, surgery in the sky. So this was a song that I actually hadn't heard about, but I was talking about this episode with my partner, and this song was suggested actually for Helena first, but then when I would listen to it I thought, you know, it really I think reminds me more of Kasima. Not necessarily a song Kasima would listen to. But a song that kind of reminded me of Kasima and particularly her predicament with, you know, that illness we, of which we will not speak. So it's a song by Suzanne Vega called Blood Makes Noise. And it was originally written, it's off of an album that came out in 1992. And so it was written about sort of the panic about HIV and AIDS going on in the early 90s. And it's about a person who I'm assuming has been told by, by a physician that he or she is positive for HIV. And it's this idea that the lyrics are all about, you know, doctor, I really want to hear what you're saying, but I just can't. There's this ringing in my ears because because blood makes noise. And the chorus is, but blood makes noise. It's a ringing in my ear. Blood makes noise. And I can't really hear you in the thickening of fear. And it just really reminded me of Cosima with her blood vials and now this looming sort of ill, you know, feeling of, of, something bad is coming in regards to her respiratory illness that she seems to have. So that song kind of reminded me of Cosima's predicament. 
So basically, you don't want to talk about it, but this song is entirely about the thing you don't want to talk about. I know. I'm I'm a mystery, Chris. I I don't even understand myself. (laughs) Fair enough. I accept that. And I've got to say, while I think it's it's totally appropriate that Cosima would be like hip and into the dubstep and drum music or drum and bass music and, and, and bass music, I would like to think, maybe just because I wish that Cosima was my friend and this is kind of what my iPod <laughs> looks like, but I would like to think that there's also a lot of like LGBT friendly, outspokenly political art- artists on Cosima's iPod, like the gossip and Slater Kenny and Ani DeFranco and PJ Harvey and Dar Williams. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> I do like Slater Kinney and PJ Harvey. So so I will back you on, on that. Just those two, though? Not the others? <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like the others. I'm saying I especially like those two. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> so for Allison, the writer's playlist, as you would expect, includes some show tunes. Got all, the, all that jazz from Chicago, Chicago. right? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I'm super, super in the know, clearly. And memory from cats. And then, of course, there's the 90s pop songs, as I think we all now associate with Allison, right? It also included, which is not from the 90s, but it had, Sh- uh, I believe, by Cher on there. And I thought, oh, yeah, I could totally see Allison <laughs> singing her lungs out to that song in her minivan. Now that you mention it, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, Tatiana's playlist is all show tunes. But there's some kind of interesting picks on there, like I Dreamed a Dream from Limas and Gethsemane, I Only Wanted to Say from Jesus Christ Superstar. So I Dreamed a Dream, I think, is interesting because it goes back again to this theme that we mentioned a lot for Allison that I mentioned earlier, this idea that maybe her life hasn't quite turned out the way that she expected, even though she kind of followed the recipe. She got the husband and the nice house and the children. But I Dreamed a Dream is is very much... There was once a time when men were kind, and I dreamed that life was worth living, and love would never die, and God would forgive me. But then it ends on this this idea that I had a dream that li- my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dreamed I dream, and it's a very obviously very you know harsh song, but I think it's it's appropriate for Allison in sort of capturing that element of her storyline. Right. Well, I mean, because that is basically her storyline is that. Even though she did all these things, basically, the situation is out of her control. And that's really just sort of, it doesn't sit well with Allison. I think that's sort of really what they're getting at with Allison is that all this clone business, all all the things that are happening around her life that was supposed to be, it's just, you know, it's messing everything up. Right. And and then the song from Jesus Christ Superstar has a similar theme. This is from the musical where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before he's supposed to die, or at least supposed to be accused. And he's talking to God. Jesus is talking to God, basically saying, I, I, I'm having some doubts here. I really want to understand what the plans are for me. I know I'm supposed to do, to do this, but I don't really know what the end game is, dude. And I feel like this song in particular, it's a very, for me anyway, it brings chills to me whenever I hear it. It's, a, it's actually a really powerful song. And I, I kind of feel like it maybe expresses Allison's feelings toward finding out she's a clone, perhaps. This idea that she's been set up with this larger purpose, but she has no idea what it is. 
Hmm. Interesting. And that just might be me overthinking it a bit. But when I was listening to the song again, I thought, yeah, I could kind of see that capturing Allison's emotions toward finding out she was a clone. Yeah, makes sense. So the song that I came up with that kind of reminded me of Allison is, it's not quite a pop song, but it was a, a name, a mainstream song back in the 90s. It's The Way by Fastball, who's actually a band from Texas, where Chris and I are from. And you probably know, would, if you don't, can't think of the song off the top of your head. If you heard it, you could probably know it. It gets got played a lot back in the 90s. It really did. <laughs> yeah. And I was looking into the background of the song, and it's actually quite sad. The song was inspired by a story that the bassist read about in a newspaper where this older couple was driving from their home in, in Salado, Texas, to Temple, Texas, to attend a festival. And the wife had... Alzheimer's and the husband had just recovered from brain surgery and they never made it to temple, but they were found several months later dead at the bottom of a ravine, I believe in hot springs, Arkansas, which is way off their track. And so the bassist kind of reimagined that very tragic incident into, well, what if, what if what they did was they decided to sort of leave their life behind and live life as if they were young and first in love again. And so if you listen to the lyrics of The Way, <laughs> it does include the lyric, they drank up the wine. So that's appropriate for Allison right there, right? But, <laughs> but it's about a, an older couple leaving their life behind and going and sort of pursuing better times. Like there's, there's a point in the song where it talks about the children waking up and not finding their parents there anymore. So again, calling back to Allison's both love of, of 90s pop songs, but then her, maybe her desire to leave behind this less than satisfactory life at times. This podcast just got unexpectedly depressing. Jeez. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't come up with a specific song for Allison. And, and I think my problem largely is that, you know, we are also like, we're a little bit older than the clones are. But but basically, still coming from approximately the same point generation-wise. So so we've got similar backgrounds. So I also, you know, grew up with 90s pop music in, in middle school and high school and stuff. So I basically couldn't really pick out a specific song for Allison. I don't know why. But the, all I could come up with is that I'm pretty sure that Allison had boy band posters on her bedroom walls as a teenager. I bet she did. I bet she had a Hanson poster because they were nice Christian boys from Oklahoma and she seemed to be raised in a religious household. So I bet her parents would have liked that. <laughs> You're probably right. I can see it. I did not have Hanson posters on my wall, but I was a big Hanson fan when they first came out. I will, I will admit. I think I was 12 or so when the album came out. It is a good album. Make fun of Hanson if you will. But given that those, those young men were boys really when that album came out they they did they produced a pretty darn good pop album i will support them in that so once again we will link to the playlists in the show notes you can find the playlist the writers created and we'll try to link to orphan black's spotify account where you can go and take a peek at tatiana Maslany's playlist for the clone characters and let us know your thoughts about the music on Orphan Black. Do you have a favorite musical moment or a favorite song that you first heard on the show that you really enjoy? Let us know. You can leave a comment on the show notes over at TatianaIsEveryone.com. 
You can send us an email to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 972-514-7223. Thank you for joining us this week. Both Spotify and Allison's 98 Degrees poster were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thank you for listening. 